You're listening to Book Stories, a podcast about the business and culture of book selling in the 21st century. I'm your host, Vic Singh. Before we begin, if you like what we're doing, there are a couple of ways to help us out. You can rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. You can also support the show via Patreon. Finally, I'm excited to announce a cool partnership with Libro.fm. Libro.fm is the first audiobook company to directly support independent bookstores. They make it easy for you to listen to more audiobooks at a great price, all while knowing you're helping your community thrive. Learn how to get your first month for 99 cents at bookstories.show. This week's conversation is with Amy Stevenson of The Booksmith in San Francisco. Amy is the events director of The Booksmith and also produces and emcees Shipwreck SF, one of many popular events hosted at The Booksmith. Located in the city's historic Haight-Ashbury neighborhood, The Booksmith is one of the city's oldest bookstores and is at the intersection of culture, politics, and commerce in the city by the bay. We discuss the industry at large, her local market, and Graham Greene. Here's our conversation. Okay, well, let's start at the beginning. What's the origin story of the store um, and the neighborhood that you guys are in, and then how and when you became a part of it all? Absolutely. So uh, the bookstore has actually been here since 1976, which was real fun. We got to celebrate our uh, our anniversary uh, back in 2016. But yeah, so we've been in this neighborhood in the Haight-Ashbury in San Francisco since 1976. Um, we did move locations once, but just like a block and uh, the store used to be a liquor store. So we have the original like old pink you know, four-mega countertop at the back. It's like pretty ridiculous. So yeah, since 1976 and then uh, in 2008, the owners who uh, currently run the business, uh, Kristen Evans and Praveen Madan, took over. And I joined the team in 2009. So nine years now. Wow, long time. And what do you do for the store? So I'm the uh, kind of events director, which is sort of just means that I oversee um, the other people in the events team and make sure that they're booking the way that they're supposed to be booking and that we're getting books in the right quantities and on time and all that stuff. I also do all of our marketing and social media. So I do our newsletter, um, things like that. Uh, I'm our graphic designer, uh, and I'm sort of Lots like of one half of our de facto HR, HR department, exactly. <laughs> we're a small team. We're a very small team. That's cool. You guys did, um, I read that you guys were around like 60 or 70 events, and now you guys are over 200, so I, I, it's got to be a huge mm-hmm. undertaking and to get that all built out. It is, and we've, we've been really working on like expanding our events team. Uh, we started out with just one person, and now we're up to three with a team of you know on-call people to just come in and host events. So, uh, yeah, it's it's been a huge focus of ours to grow the events program. Yeah, you guys, the store, actually, the footprint recently expanded as well. How did that come about? And was it purely demand-driven? It was, uh, it was, it, it could have been demand-driven, but, uh, you know, it's like basically um, we were declining events that we wanted a space to be able to take. So it's not that our footprint expanded. We actually took over another space down the block um, that used to be an old movie theater. So they had a liquor license and a big event space. We turned it into a multifunctional space. So it's a it's a fully functioning bookstore that added about 10,000 additional titles to our inventory. It's also... This is, this the, is binder, the bindery, correct, right? Which I should have mentioned. Thank okay. you. <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, so the bindery is a fully functioning um, bookstore as well as a dedicated events parlor with a bar. So uh, we have like a, a craft cocktail program over there. Um, and we're running an event almost every night, and it's rentable. So it allowed us to really expand the like array of events that we're doing. It's not just like a guy at a podium anymore. Like We're able to do a lot more things that we didn't really have the capacity to do before we had that space. 
Non-book events? Non-book events, yeah. We do a lot of, like, uh, we have an experimental music night, and there have been performances over there, um, you know, like interactive theater performances, and there have been, uh, you know, parties, and yeah, all kinds of stuff. Movie nights, game nights. Cool. You guys were recently labeled by San Francisco as a legacy business? Correct. What What does that mean? Um, it just means that we've been around a long time and are sort of a cornerstone of the city's, you know, local business program. So it, it gives us some some benefits through the city, but mostly it's just something to hang our hats on that we have been around and <laughs> we're doing great and yeah, we're extremely involved in the community and, and stuff like that. So. A nice feather, a nice feather in the cap. Exactly. Talk about some of the more interesting sections in your store, sections that might not be common in other stores, perhaps. Sure. Um, so we're in the Haight-Ashbury, um, which I don't know how much you know about the Haight-Ashbury, but it's sort of like the Grateful Dead used to live here and Janis Joplin used to live here and it's where the Summer Glove happened. So uh, we get to have like a very extensive kind of counterculture, metaphysical sort of like drug book section <laughs> that um, has been really fun for us to curate. And yeah, we get to carry a lot of those things that maybe some other bookstores don't get to carry and kind of get to call it local interest. Um, so that's fun. We also have like a really big art section um, with a lot of really beautiful things, you know, because we're right by the museum, so we get a lot of museum foot traffic. And and the store in general is is, uh, curated sort of interestingly because we have a very, like, open democratic buying process. Like, everyone on our staff, even if you're part-time, you have access to the catalogs and you get to help us pick um, what we decide to bring in. So we try to get everybody involved so it's it's everybody's taste and not just, you know, one person. Yeah, I was actually going to ask that. Like, not being able to compete on price means that you have to have a laser focus on curation and discovery. How do you guys approach curation? For sure, yeah. I mean, we definitely... So we have a store buyer, um, and then we have a kid's buyer. And like I said, beyond that, everybody has an opportunity to look at the catalogs, to flag things, to ask for, you know, advanced copies. Um, When you are managing a section, you have a certain amount of control over what titles you decide you want to bring in and feature in that section. Um, So, like, every section in the store has kind of, like, a featured shelf um, of the stuff that the person who curates it is excited about, that they keep up with. And, and yeah, we we take curation very seriously. And the other way that we do that is um, with Shelf Talker which is sort of the thing that we're known for. We never take down shelf talkers. Every, like every section of the store is just loaded with them, <laughs> um, sometimes multiple ones for for a single book. Um, and people get really excited about that. Like if you look at the photos people take of us on Instagram, it's like of rows and rows of shelf talkers. Um, so, you know, it, it allows us to not just feature sort of like the stuff that's right in the front of the store. It allows, to, it allows us to feature stuff all the way through into the back and people really like look to us for that. Out of all the books that you have and all of like the sections in the store, what sells really well that you're kind of surprised by? Hmm. Human behavior is fascinating. It kind of ebbs and flows for us. Um, we sell a, a weird number of copies of The Alchemist. <laughs> um, I it's love like that our book. Number one, uh, yeah, I, I mean, it's a great book, but it's like our number one bestseller every single year, like all year, every year. <laughs> it's very odd. It pops up. It's an older book, and but like somebody will write about it, and mm-hmm. then it'll become really popular. And that's how it came to me. It kind of, I kind of caught it on a, at a late wave, and I try to tell people about it, and they kind of just like look at me funny. It's, you have to kind of be ready for that book. It's weird. You just have. There's like a moment in time when it's interesting. So, The Alchemist. Uh, I'm going to ask you a macro question about what's happening in San Francisco sure. and kind of around the country. Dozens of small bookstores across the country are opening multiple locations and they're expanding into mini chains. San Francisco has one. Seattle's got one. Mm-hmm. Brooklyn has one. In your opinion, being, you know, having boots on the ground and kind of your ear to the ground, is this just a function of more demand for third places or are you seeing something else happening? 
I do think that's that's part of it, that the demand for third places. Um, but I also think that there was a huge migration back to small independent bookstores when, when Borders went under. Um, I know that was like a huge year for us. Like our, our sales went up and, and people started um, thinking differently about who we are and what we do. I think that trend has been continuing ever really since Borders uh, went under. So, so yeah, I think it's, it's twofold, right? It's like... It's like in a neighborhood where everything is becoming in, in neighborhoods in San Francisco where everything is becoming sort of nail salons and like pokeball places. Like, where do you go? We're really lucky that we get to be able to be that that third place. Yeah. What do you say to people that want to open a bookstore today? How 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 can they make it? What's the formula to make it work? If they haven't been there, you know, since the seventies, if they don't have a footprint or a brand established um, in your mind, how can a new bookstore be effective and sustainable today? Yeah, I mean, the way we think about it is, you have to be able to do everything that Amazon can't do, and you have to do it really, really well. So, you know, first and foremost, beyond anything else, our focus is being on a great, being a great bookstore. Like we, we are a place that people want to come to, whether it's to hang out, whether it's to just find, you know, something to do over the weekend, or whether it's because you know, you need something very specific and our booksellers can get it for you in two days. You know, it's like we need to be a place where people want to physically come. And and that's always our focus, whether it's through events or just being beautiful. It's a huge part of how we think about the business. And I think that's the only way to think about the business. Yes in a world with Amazon. <laughs> and, and, we'll, and we'll talk about Amazon in a minute, but you mentioned uh, being all the things that Amazon isn't, and one of those things that a bookstore is, that a third place is, is a place for experiences, a place for events. Um, what are what are some mm-hmm. of the unique ways that you guys are driving traffic to your store? I read about this thing called Shipwreck. Talk about that and talk about some of the other things that are just kind of distinguishing you guys from other places, other options, other choices people have. Absolutely. So Shipwreck is uh, my brainchild, actually. Um, when I first started on the team as a full-timer, I was uh, hired as an events coordinator, which uh, part of my job was to figure out a way to start a program of quote-unquote authorless events. So how do we bring people into the bookstore when there isn't a big name on tour? And we experimented with a lot of different things. We were running a game show for a while with local writers. We were running, we we're actually still running a book swap where you just like bring a book that you love um, and we do a white elephant and serve you food and drinks and everybody has a good time. So that that's kind of like wh- what I I was hired to do. Um, and so it was kind of like when the Fifty Shades of Grey thing was happening, we had this, I had this idea with a friend of mine, what if we did a monthly erotic fan fiction competition based on classic literature? So the way it works is there are six writers, um, we assign each of them a character, uh, and then all the pieces are read aloud uh, anonymously by our, what we call our thespian in residence. Uh, <laughs> and then at the end, uh, you get to vote for your favorite. And if if you win, you come back. Um, and that's it. Like it's that basic. We pick a different book every month. And at first it was going to be just a a short summer series to like cover, you know, the months in between again, book tours. And then like if the first show had 50 people, then the second show had 75 people. And then the third show had 125 people. And we were like, Oh, I guess this is, we got to keep this thing going. This is going to happen. Right. Yeah. So then we've been doing it ever since. Um, so that was June of 2013. We've been doing it every month. Ever since, um, we published an anthology of stories from the first three years through uh, Grand Central in 2016. Um, We take the show now to, we're part of New York Comic Con. We've gone to Emerald City Comic Con. We've gone to all these different festivals. Um, People love it. It's a way for them to kind of like talk back to the canon in a creative way. And it really completely changed our reputation in the bookselling community. So it's it's been really cool to watch it grow and, and, and watch how it's changed the Booksmith brand completely just by being an event that's held here. That's amazing. So, uh, yes. Yeah, it's it's been fun. Is it open? Like, is it, is it like an open mic situation, or do you have to apply? No, it's not. 
Okay. Yeah. So, so we curate. I curate it. I curate it with Casey, the guy that Casey Childers, the, the dude that I run with. And basically, people will email me and say, "Hey, I want to write," and I'll say, "You know, show me your some kind of presence online or some kind of writing sample that I can tell you're for real." Um, we assign them a character ahead of time. So, like, if we're doing the Great Gatsby, I might assign somebody like the yellow car. They're not always people. Um, <laughs> and then they write seven minute pieces ahead of time, submit ahead of time, uh, so that our reader has a chance to get used to them. And then one dude reads them all the night of. Got it. Very cool. Very unique. I yeah. love to. I love to hear that stuff like that is happening. <laughs> and it's had such a strong run. It sounds like this could actually be. It sounds like it's even podcast material. Or oh, yeah, we podcast every single show actually. So uh, we we record every single show, and then uh, Casey and I go back after the fact and do you know interstitials and and do like intros and outros and talk about who the the writers are and all that fun stuff. And the podcast has gotten a lot of traction. Very too, cool. So. What's the name? What's the name of it? It's Shipwreck is, is all of it. It's just Shipwreck SF um, on Facebook. It's Shipwreck SF on Simplecast, which is where all the podcasts are. Awesome. The hashtag is fun. We do, uh, so um, every month we ask people to tweet at us because it's it's a, it's a pretty interactive show. You know, it's not a thing where everyone's sitting quietly and we tell you to turn your phones off. Um, so we ask people to tweet under the hashtag, hashtag Shipwreck SF and every single month it trends into, in San Francisco and it's almost as funny as the show. It's hysterical how lively that, <laughs> that Twitter feed gets every month. Yeah, for sure. It's like outtakes. Like yeah. you get these outtakes you add, creates this whole extra universe of content. Exactly. Yeah. Um, okay, let's uh, just get that eight hundred pound gorilla out of the out of the way. When you sure. see that Amazon is now opening physical stores, what do you guys think? What What do you yeah. and what do you What do your team think about all that? Oh man. I think that day we just opened a bottle of whiskey in the middle of the afternoon. I couldn't believe it. It's just the weirdest thing. You know, they come into town, they close all the bookstores, and then they open their own. The way that we think about it, and I think, I'm not sure that all bookstores think about it this way, but the way that we think about it is like, you know, if you get turned down for prom, you don't show up anyway and like compliment everyone's dresses. You throw a rager, right? So that's how we think about it. Like, you know, Amazon's going to do what Amazon's going to do, and we can only waste so much energy worrying and thinking about them. And instead, we prefer to just focus on being awesome. And it's really worked for us. I know a lot of other bookstores are really anxious about uh, Amazon opening stores and coming into their towns and, and opening distribution centers. And I get that. I really do. But I think for us to stay sane and for us to stay focused and to keep growing and doing what we're doing, we just can't worry about it. You know, your answer to me sounds very alchemisty. <laughs> That was a great callback. Yeah, it is, it is a little bit. I mean, that, that is absolutely our ethos uh, for sure regarding Amazon. What's the biggest pain point for you in the business? What If you had a magic wand, what would you want to change? Oh, man. Yeah, well, um, particularly here uh, in San Francisco, uh, as you probably have heard, we're in a, somewhat of a housing crisis. So unfortunately, the people that can afford to live here are not the people that work uh, part-time at bookstores. Um, so we've had a really hard time finding people who, who can work here. I mean, I know people who commute from Sonoma, which is, you know, an hour and a half away to work at an ice cream bar. Like, it's it's bad. And we, we lose people. We lose people a lot because they just can't afford the city. And that's that's been really hard for us. I mean, we've lost some excellent people because they just can't hack it. And there's nothing we can do about it, you know. So I would say that's the one <laughs> for us. I talked to Pete at Green Apple Books last week. Oh, yeah. And he mm-hmm. said the same thing when I asked him the question. And yep. people are coming from all over and it's just, uh, it's an untenable situation. But it yeah, really something's got to happen. Um what are some other ways you guys are leveraging technology to grow and scale? Not necessarily to solve hiring and staffing, but kind of ways to optimize business and kind of make things more efficient overall. Yeah, um, we've had a choice kind of from the beginning about whether or not we want to use our online presence, you know, our web store and our social media and stuff to drive sales online 
or drive people into the store. Uh, and we chose the second one. We thought that was a more effective use of our social media presence. Regarding like all the t- kinds of technology use we use, whether it's our newsletter or our social media or our website, all of that stuff, like we always have an eye towards getting people physically into the space because we really think that that's like where the magic happens. So again, focus on events, <laughs> focus on curation, focus on a beautiful space full of art that people want to be in. Uh, we employ store artists. I mean, this is not technology, right? This is like ancient technology, but we have we have artists on staff who make us proud. The innovation that you guys are doing is the technology as far as, you know, as far as... For yeah. sure. So we keep artists on staff in-house that can make us beautiful signage that people want to take pictures of and, and we they make props, physically make props for our window every single month. So our window displays are always really elaborate and creative and kind of over the top. Um, Instagrammable things, in other words. Kind of. Like, I hate to, I hate to put it that way, uh, but, and I think we were kind of doing that before Instagram yeah. was as big as it is now, but yeah, that's always been my thing. It's like, you want to be inside this space and we're going to use all of the technology at our fingertips to make people want to be inside the space. What changes would you like to see within the book industry as a whole? Oh, diversity. Oh my goodness. The the book industry, the, you know, the, the ABA, all of that stuff is overwhelmingly white and um, it, you know, it just doesn't reflect the world at large. And if, and if the book industry wants to keep growing and evolving and, you know, stealing away little bits and pieces from Amazon, they're going to have to round out. And it's been a hard <laughs> Hard thing to get people to take seriously, but I think it's starting to happen. Starting to. But that's that's, that's the big one for me. Is there any innovation or thing nobody's doing in your business right now? I, I've, I asked this question and, and half of the people have said, you know, well, if it was, if I would have thought of it, I would have already been doing it. But it's, I, it's, it's important <laughs> yeah. just from a, sometimes when you're so like entrenched in what you're doing, your day to day, you kind of just, you kind of have your eyes laser focused on one thing and other things can pass you by. That's, that's sure. kind of what the essence or the spirit of the question is. Gotcha. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't want to like, hammer it in too much, but I really want to say diversifying. Like, I don't think people are, are actively, you know, it's like everyone gets the message now. And I think that's the stage we're at, that everybody understands that we should be more diverse, but are they going out of their way to make it happen? Maybe not so much. And that's something that even we struggle with constantly, even, you know, even we struggle to keep it foremost in our minds when we're doing hiring and when we're doing curating and when we're doing all those things. Um, but that's really, really important to us. And I just wish that everybody in the industry was doing it. No, it's, uh, <laughs> so. it's great to hear. I got to say I've done, I think we've, this is interview number 15 and you're the first person that's mentioned it once. So yeah. Really? Yeah. Okay, well, maybe we haven't gotten the message. Yeah, <laughs> and, 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 and I've, we've been all over the country so far, and even talked to a store in Canada. So, yeah, you wow. you, you might be onto something, uh, or you might have actually you, you actually I might hope. have just uh, made the point even more strongly that, that there's clearly nobody's talking about it. Uh, yeah, I I maybe those I hope they yeah. start. I really hope. But they you're absolutely you're absolutely right. I feel like that's a that's the case in a lot of different areas and industries and verticals. I'm going to move to a lightning round. So with these questions, um, you can, they can be yes, no, or if you want to deep dive, if you want to riff, feel free. Um, what does the business look like to you? The bookstore business look like to you in five years? Uh, Oh God, that's a hard one. Um, I think for us, it looks like more events. I I mean, I, I more curated events. Are you concerned about event fatigue or do you think communities can, can want, or there's a strong demand for it? 
I think in San Francisco there's a strong demand for it, and for us it's just a matter of figuring out exactly what the demand is. And, and you guys will adapt to the event peculiarities. Yeah, we're constantly evolving. We have a, yeah, we have a, a very serious metrics program that we take, you know, that we look at constantly, and we're just, yeah, always trying to hammer down, you know, like drill down into the specific things that work and just shed whatever doesn't. Do you think print will always exist? I know this sounds naive, but I do. It's the oldest technology. It's always been there. I can't imagine a world where it doesn't. What are you reading right now? Uh, I'm currently reading an advanced copy of a new Ruth Ware. She's a British mystery writer, and she's one of my favorites. Are there any writers or creators out there you'd like to mention that you think should be getting more attention? Absolutely. There's so much. so through um, curating shipwreck, there's been there have been so many local writers that I'm just amazingly bowled over by their talent. Maggie Dakota Hall uh, is local, like in our neighborhood local. She writes these hilarious essays about dating from the perspective of like sea creatures. Um, she also has children's books. Joe Wadlington is another local writer who's in our book. Um, he writes these amazing essays for like the New Yorker about like attachment planting that are just so satirical and funny and amazing. Who else? Colin Winnett uh, is another local writer uh, who is published by Softcall. He just did a book called Job of the Wasp. That's like this like thriller coming of age horror show about a boarding school. It's like the best thing ever. Meg Gillison is another uh, local writer. She writes this feminist dystopic fiction that's like at Woodian. It's amazing. The one I've been obsessed with lately is Caroline Kepneys. She's a, an L.A. writer. She's got a book called You that's about to be uh, made into a Lifetime movie or show, but uh, it's the whole book is in second-person present tense, hmm. which sounds horrible, but it is so incredible. She's got a new one coming out this summer called Providence. That's my favorite thing that I've read in 2018. I want everyone to read her. Just mysteries in general, I feel like get uh, get kind of dumped into genre. Read more, everyone should read more mysteries. They're so good. They're so good. Awesome. I love <laughs> it. I love, the, I love the energy. Yeah. Can you recall and or share uh, any surprise walk-in customers that stand out in your mind? Oh, Lord. Um, so I'm not sure if I can, uh, particular ones, but being on the Haight-Ashbury corner, uh, we get a lot of interesting customers. In fact, it's a, it's a standard part of our interview process to be like, you know, you just have to keep up an eye for someone like taking their pants off in the art section because they're on a bad trip today. Like that's, It's sort of a, just an everyday weirdness factor over here. Never boring. <laughs> um, if you weren't a bookseller, what would you be doing? Oh, Lord. Um, probably marketing. I mean, the, the stuff that I sort of naturally gravitated to, towards here was always marketing and promotion. And it just it happened so organically that I feel like it probably would have been my regular life if I hadn't gone into book selling. So. What book have you recommended the most over the years? Oh, boy. That's a hard one. Um, I would say the one that I always fall back on when I'm when I'm at a loss is I always recommend Graham Greene, which I know is like weird, but The Comedians is my favorite book of all time. All of my social media handles are uh, Loser Takes All, which is a reference to a Graham Greene short story. I don't know what he's like in The Modernist, but everyone forgets about him. But I recommend him to everybody. <laughs> You're the second person. Um, really? And I admitted this. Yeah, I admitted this on my last interview. I talked to a store in L.A. called Stories. Okay. Um, he recommended Graham Greene. I sadly, I consider myself pretty decently well-read, but I've <laughs> never read any Graham Greene. That's what I'm saying. Everyone who's well-read doesn't read Graham Greene. And he's the one that made me like really feel it, fall, fall in love with books. I heard about him first on The West Wing when mm -hmm. uh, President Bartlett like did a did it went on went on like a rant and he mentioned him and I, I wrote it down then and I just every time I hear his name I think of Bartlett in The West Wing. And I, <laughs> I, I gotta I gotta read. So what's the one Graham Greene book you recommend for someone who's never read him before? The Comedians. The Comedians is my favorite one. It's this guy uh, in, inherits a hotel in Haiti during the Papa Doc reign from his relatives um, and there's a murder so it's like a little bit of a mystery and a little bit of a love story and like a little bit about he was 
a travel writer, right? So all of his books um, take place in different places, and they're really like seeped in the culture of whatever the place is. So you get a lot of like it feels like you're in Haiti. It's so good. That sounds awesome, and it's mm-hmm. aged well. Like they, oh, they God, age yeah. well. They don't. There are okay. a couple that that are that age less well, but I mean, again, he spent his his entire career traveling the world. So I think, in terms of you know the mid-century misogynists as some people like to call them. I think he tends to be slightly more woke than his brethren, but, um, you know, I also haven't read most of them in a couple of years, so don't hold me to that. (laughs) Fair enough. Uh, Finally, last but not least, um, Mm -hmm. most important question of all, what's in your ideal sandwich? Oh, so I'm a New Yorker, uh, originally. I'm an expat, and, uh, any day, like if my last meal, if I had to choose it, it would always be like a really shitty diner, tuna melts, open-faced, like on an English muffin with a bunch of soggy fries. That's all I ever want, ever, every day. That sounds amazing. <laughs> my, my favorite diner in the city was a place called Lyric Diner on 22nd and 3rd, mm-hmm. and it was a sad day a couple of years ago when they closed down. No. Like, it was a big yeah. deal. Yeah. That's yeah. the worst. Anyway, <laughs> so that's actually a really, really good answer. It trumps any sandwich for sure. I mean, come on. Yeah. Um, Amy, this has been a pleasure. Thank you yeah, so much. Super fun. Um, Thank you so much for thinking of yeah, us. Yeah, of course. You guys are doing awesome things up there. Keep it up. And I will check out Shipwreck, and I encourage anybody who's listening to as well. Next time I'm up in San Francisco, I'll come by and say hi. Absolutely. We love that. All right. Take care, Amy. Thank you so much. Well, thank you so much. All right. Bye. You've been listening to Book Stories. Book Stories is produced by Alternate Thursdays in Los Angeles. Special thanks to Savannah Tate for production assistance. Thrilled to have Savannah on board. Finally, if you like what we're up to, you can help us a lot by writing a review on Apple Podcasts and telling all your bibliophile friends out there what we're up to. Thanks.